information you can trust, stories you can relate to, and tips and tactics you can apply on your next adventure. Hunting, fishing, camping, and everything in between. This is the Battle Mountain Podcast. Everybody, thank you for tuning into the podcast. We are here yet again at ATA 2020 still, and Cody has stopped by to chat with me. He and uh, I, I don't even know how long, how long have you guys been doing your show, Cody? We've had the show since 2008. We started filming in 2008. Holy smokes. So, and so, so for everybody listening, kind of give everybody a little bit of background of your show, what it's named, what you guys are kind of gold towards, for and sure. everything like that. Well, a lot of people know me by uh, being Jim Shockey's original cameraman. So I started filming with Jim Shockey in 2001 when he started his show for the Outdoor Channel. And I was his cameraman and editor for seven years. I traveled all over the world with him. I hunted in 15 different countries. And then in 2008, I started my own show. And I wanted to base it mostly on North American big game, focus on trophy hunting. And I think what we're best known for is big muleys in Saskatchewan. Man... Yeah, I, I would say that. Looking at some of your pictures and some of your videos, I, you know, I mean, twist my arm, I'd shoot a 200-inch deer. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're very lucky where we live. There's wicked genetics. The government, the way they manage it and the way they have opportunities for hunters, it just works very well for trophy hunting. It's, um, we have really good genetics and we have really big bucks right close to home and it's uh it's an opportunity that a lot of people come up here and say oh you're the best hunter in the world we're not the best hunter in the world it's if a guy lives in pennsylvania he's got to take his opportunities and he's got to hunt 130 class whitetail bucks because that's what he has we're lucky to have giant muley bucks where we live and that's what we got yeah that is <laughs> that's another thing it's funny because i had uh i had a kid on that is also from, I think he's from Saskatchewan as well. And he goes, he's like, yeah, I remember my first, my first buck I shot. You know, it was like, it, it wasn't very big. That was 180 inches. And I was like, <laughs> like you know, yeah. it's, it's like two different worlds, honestly. You know, you, you shoot 180 inch deer in Wyoming. Not that it's not big there, but like you say, there's just more. Yep. So you it's just to put it in perspective. Was that guy's name Dana White? It was. It, no, um, not Dana White. Dane Hildebrand. Dane Hildebrand. Yep. He was down here. No, I I did it on online. Okay. Online yep. over the podcast. Yep. 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 And, and did you see him in magazines? Maybe. No, I saw him just on Instagram oh, and yeah. uh, reached out to him on Instagram, and I said, "Hey, man, I, I just want to talk to you, especially because he's a young guy. Because regardless of whether whether you're shooting 100 inch deer or 180 inch, it doesn't really matter the size. If you're consistently shooting deer with a bow, you're doing something right. Absolutely, you know. And yep. and it like like you know, a three a three year old deer is a three year old deer, whether he's got 200 inches or 50 inches. It's three year old deer. Yes, sir. So, but so. What, what made you decide to start your guys' own show? And um, I believe Kelsey it is, yes, your it is. wife. Yep. And it looks like she hunts as much as you do. <laughs> she's, she's hardcore. She's beautiful. She loves hunting. I'm very lucky. I had, you know, I, I dated girls before Kelsey and nice girls, but they weren't into hunting. And there was just always that, that one little thing that we couldn't share together. Right. And... I know how how rare it is, and I appreciate it so much, that chance to share my passion with my wife, and sh- she absolutely loves it. And we were hunting partners 
right from the start when we started the show, we went hunting together. She was my camera girl. I was her cameraman. We'd switch back and forth, take turns hunting. That's and so cool. We had kids. Um, we had Berkeley, our first little girl, in 2013. And then we had Bowie in 2000. I better not screw this up. 2016. <laughs> She's listening. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe 2017. <laughs> Bowie, were you born in 2017? But they're <laughs> six and two right now. And now that we have two kids, Kelsey and I don't get much of a chance to hunt together. Right. We're actually take turns hunting with the cameraman. We have a full-time cameraman and editor. And Kelsey will go hunting with him, or I'll go hunting with him, and the other will stay home with the kids. Gotcha. But um, getting back to your original question, I've always had a passion for for filming my hunting adventures. Mm-hmm. And that's how the job came along with Jim Shockey in 2001. Um I I saved up. I bought a professional video camera, and I was just compiling stories, and I wanted to share them with the world somehow, some way. I didn't know at the time how I was going to do that. There wasn't digital. You know, it was it was kind of far-fetched to think I was going to have a TV show being a Canadian kid and not really having the networks at the time. But uh, I got the job with Jim, and I just, my passion for telling hunting stories with Jim, it just kept growing and growing, and I really wanted to pursue or spend more time in North America. Um, Jim was traveling all over the world. He's won the Weatherby Award now. And he loves spending time overseas and, and collecting different species around the world. And I appreciated those experiences, but not as much as I appreciated a giant muley buck in Saskatchewan or right. a, a big white-tailed buck or a huge <laughs> bull elk bugling in British Columbia. I, I really wanted to spend more time on North American big game and the antler game more specifically. So yeah. that's... That really how, why I started my show and then just followed my my passion, my dream to tell people hunting stories. That is, that it's, it's cool to be able to go out and, like you say, follow that passion, follow that dream, and then move forward into something that is tangible, making you money. You know, it's not just, well, I bought my first camera and I'm going to go out and film something and then, I guess, put it on the computer. I don't know what I'm going to yeah. do with it. <laughs> it. It's so lucky, you know, it, it, and it's, I think... It's just as much luck as it is skill. There's so many people that want to pursue that same template in life. You know, it, there's so many people here at ATA. They love they love hunting. They love filming their hunts, and they want to find a way to make a living in the hunting industry. And to me, we have great hunting in Canada, which which is a huge plus for me to give me my chance. But also. I had doors open at the right time. I had the chance to work for Shockey. And yeah. then you proved yourself, though, right? Yeah, you, you I, got I guess, there. You, yeah. you, well, because the thing, think about it. If you'd gone on a couple hunts with him and you forgot to press record <laughs> yeah. on three out of the four and then you edited them and you couldn't edit them. And yeah, it and he's hardcore. Mo- it wouldn't have moved forward, yeah. you know? He would have fired my ass really quick. <laughs> he's, he's a, he expects nothing less than greatness every single day. And it, it's crazy. You know, I remember thinking when I worked for him, he, he reminded me of, like, the school teacher that you complained about, like, just the, <laughs> the grumpy old ogre, right? Right. And you know what? I'd go home, and I'd be kicking stuff and just thinking, you know what? Jim is just such a grump, and he's such, a, such an ass to work for. <laughs> but you know what? Now that I have my own TV show, now that I have my own business, now that I have employees, all those things, I lay in bed so many times now just thinking, I wish I could just call him up right now and just say, hey, Jim. Sorry about that one time I threw that little hissy fit or I, you know, threw a trial with a tantrum or that one time I didn't appreciate what you were trying to teach me or you were, you know, taking me to the school of hard knocks. And you know what? It, all of those lessons and all of those really tough days working for a guy that was a perfectionist totally molded me into somebody that could 
could succeed in this industry. So I'm very, very lucky that I had that chance. And like, how many kids here would love the chance to go and film Mr. Shockey? Right. Yeah, like there, there's yeah, a bajillion a few. of them. <laughs> yeah. So I'm really lucky. And that was a door that opened at the right time. There's And there's a lot of those doors in my career that open at the right time that led me to where I am today. And I'm very, very lucky. Right. Well, and, and yeah, I... I don't think it's it's like you know luck meet it met opportunity, yes sir. Right, oh, and yeah. then then you have to go out and you have to do it. And yep. like we said, like I said before, if you'd have gone out and done a real crappy job or you couldn't keep up, yeah. I mean something that small, you know, if he's and yep. everybody knows Jim, he's out, he's doing it, he's walking, he's hunting, right? Yeah. It's like if you can't even keep up with the camera, well, you're probably not going to be his cameraman. <laughs> no. no, that's totally right. No. So yeah. you made it, right? That's awesome. Yeah. You pushed forward and you did it. Absolutely. I, I mean, the opportunity had to come, but then you took the opportunity and you did it. So, I, I, you're humble, and I like that. But you need you need your dues where you're due, man. Like that's awesome. Like well, cool. I, I, I'm, I, I do feel very lucky, but I, I also am very proud of what we've accomplished. My wife Kelsey and I. It's, it's like we are absolutely living the dream. When you, you know, when I was a kid, if you would have told me that I was going to make a living in the hunting industry, be able to pay my bills, raise a family, hunt all over the world and film all of it and come to shows like this and meet so many people and take so many people hunting that have the same passion that I do. I was, <laughs> you probably fell over dead. You're so full of shit. Like, there's no <laughs> yeah, way this is going to work. there's no fucking way. Yeah. This is not happening. Yeah. And and you know what? It uh, We're living it and we're very lucky and I'm, who knows how long it'll last. So I'm riding the wave right now and just enjoying every minute of it and it's, it's really fun. It's a rock concert and I'm loving it. So your show... Um, how many how many uh, how many shows do you have in a typical airing season? Episodes, I yep. mean. We have to produce 12, 12. 13 originals, but okay. I do 12 originals and then one highs and lows kind of a recap. Okay. Yep. That's cool. And uh, you you mentioned you started filming or your own show at a certain date. I don't remember that year. So how many seasons are you guys in on your show? We started filming in 2008 and we just got done filming in 2019. So I believe we filmed 11. 11 seasons that is cool yeah and we uh, actually we've been on the outdoor channel in the united states for eight seasons so there was three seasons before that that never aired in the united states so a lot of our fans down here in the lower 48 they've never seen those episodes and they were just put up on motv which is a digital template on my outdoor tv i've watched that yeah, yeah. and and here, and I don't know if you ever actually looked at it here, some of them we can't, they won't allow us to get or watch or whatever due to region or location or oh, okay. something along that. I Honestly, I'm not 100% why, yep. but I'll go through and I'll start clicking on them. I'm like, I want to watch this one. I want to watch this one. Oh, you can't watch that because where you live. And I'm like, man, this is crap. <laughs> I want to watch them all. Just let me watch them. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you can see them there. Why the heck can't you watch them? Yeah. yeah. That's exactly how I feel. Well, that is exactly how I feel. I, there's so many people coming by ATA right now, and they're, they're saying, man, we love your show, but we, we want to see new stuff. We're watching reruns. And this is a perfect opportunity to tell those people right. that they can go to MOTV and they can watch. There's three years of episodes that no one has seen, and they're... There's cool stuff. That I, is awesome. I can't say that I was a real great host the first three years, but we <laughs> killed some big animals. I shot my, I shot a double drop time mule deer our very first year in uh, full velvet. He's crazy. Walked right up to us, shot him right in the heart. He tips over on camera. Lots of moments yeah. like that. You know, stuff that if people have been watching the show for the last eight years on the Outdoor Channel and they're and they're enjoying what they're seeing and they're they're waiting for new episodes, you got to go back and watch some of those. Right. Yeah. My Outdoor TV. So, what was your drive to have it on? on camera uh 
I mean, what, what, why? What, what, what's the reason? You know what I mean? Like, what? Yeah. Because lugging around a camera and trying to capture it is a pain in the ass. Yep. There's I, no way around it. I went through so many different stages when I was a kid. When, when I was 11 years old, I hated hunting. I hated hunters. I didn't know anything about it. I just didn't grow up in a household where there was hunters. My best friend, Shane Hunter, he was a hardcore hunter. His dad was a trapper. They took me hunting. I took a firearm safety course. I had to miss a hockey tournament to take this firearm safety course. And I learned, I guess I, I let myself or I opened my mind up to see what hunting really was before I continued to judge it. Right. And I fell madly in love with it. And I, I started hunting with a rifle and I loved it so much. And I, I loved the challenge of it. And then once I got a deer or two with my rifle, I wanted to try and get a deer with my bow and arrow. And then I wanted to try with a muzzle loader. And then it was almost like I continued on to the challenge of trying to film the hunt. It went from all the weapons uh-huh. to the video camera. And I, one thing that I loved was coming home. You go in and sit in the field and you have a deer walk by and you shoot with a muzzle loader and the smoke clears and you see brush, you know, jostling around and you're like, holy smokes, I dropped him. And you're going through all the motions of how a story unfolds and I couldn't wait to get home and tell my buddies and my family right. that story. And I got hooked or addicted to telling the stories. And then that's <clears throat> where I really fell in love with the idea of filming it and bringing those stories home and putting them on the TV and sharing them with my friends. And once... I evolved into that. It just kept going. You know, I, I didn't just want to share it with my friends anymore. I wanted to share it with everybody. Right. Right. And the, and the way to do that was produce videos. At the time, it was VHS videos. <laughs> or, like, as long ago as that sounds, I totally made myself sound very, very old now. Um, you know, that was, that was my choice or trying to get it on TV. But the Outdoor Channel didn't even start until right around that time. And I didn't even know about it. Right. At the time. And then a, a television network came into Canada, Wild TV. I can't remember what year that was, but it wasn't around yet. I think it was 2003 or 2005. And then those dreams or those visions just kept evolving and changing, you know, that chance to put them on TV and share them with everybody. So that's where I went. That's cool. You know, this very kind of similar, the the whole reason I got my first cameras is I'd get back and I'd want to show my kids or my friends or my dad the hunt, you know, and I'd get back. And it's just telling them. And telling people is honestly probably better because you're getting into oh, it. Yeah. You're just, you know. You can put you, some salt and pepper into it too. There you go. I, yeah. And, uh, but so, so I go out, I buy this camera. No idea how to use it. You yeah. know, it's like, where do the memory cards go? I don't know. How do you do the battery, you know? And so I'm putting all this crap in there and I'm trying to turn it on. Yeah. Like, well, I know the red button is record. Yeah. That's it. That's all you need to know, man. Yeah. And I go out there and I start filming all this stuff. And uh, and getting to show my kids and everything it was so rewarding, you know. Them, For oh sure. God, you did that, you know. And it's just, yeah, that's a cool feeling. You Absolutely, know? it is. So I can completely understand yeah. you wanting to show people yeah. in your life. Well, when you go out and you video a great big muley buck and you smoke him with your bow and he runs and he tips over and you freak out and you live that <laughs> moment and you bring that home and you plug it into the big screen. And instead of just telling all your buddies, they all pile around the TV and they watch that and they freak out with you. That's addicting. It's like cocaine. Not that I would know. Healthy though. Yeah. Healthy. Yeah. But it's, it's, uh, it's something that I absolutely live for. I can't get enough of it. And you know, just the chance that we get to hunt all year long. So every single day I'm going out there filming something exciting. As you know, as a hunter, you're not going to film something exciting every single day. There's a lot of days where you know, crickets. Yeah. The, Lots of grass blowing in the camera. Yeah. <laughs> but, but when something badass happens, that's a crazy feeling to be able to share it with everybody. Yeah. And I mean, especially, 
I mean, as you watch the TV and everything start to evolve, I mean, how easy is it now to upload something to YouTube? Bam, instant. Yes, sir. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. You know, um, with all of our sponsors, we meet right now and we're sitting down and everybody wants to know what's your digital platform? What's your plans for 2020? Where can people reach you? And it's so crazy. You can, we have shows on YouTube now. We have shows on Mossy Oak Go. We have shows on Outdoor Channel, the actual network. We have shows on MOTV. And you think about, you know, all the stuff that you just post quickly, the teasers or little mini hunts that you post on social media. There's so many places to share those stories now. It's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, and and uh, as uh, I don't think anyone could attest this, TV is slowly starting to go away. It is, you know, yeah. especially. Don't say that too loud. That's scary. I, it isn't it though. It's <laughs> yeah. crazy. Yeah. I mean, all these very very big companies, For direct, sure. direct TV. I mean, TV's going away. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it's like, but like with what you're doing, where you're building it on all those channels you just said how smart right yeah. you're spreading yourself out so if it ever happens in our lifetime it may not you know we don't we don't I honestly know right i got my fingers crossed and yeah, my toes crossed. Got a couple <laughs> tv shows yeah. but yeah. it just man how powerful it is to be able to just pull up your phone and watch crap on youtube <laughs> yeah absolutely oh man so yeah. so what you 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 know you'd mentioned going through <clears throat> the different weapons um i'm kind of an archery nut and so yep. i love to talk archery with people so did anyone in your family do any type of archery or like what was kind of your learning curve for going from a rifle to crap I got to get 50 40 yards you know it's yeah. a little different I, there was nobody in my family that hunted so I was following the lead of my friend Shane and his family and they you know at the time I don't think they did any bow hunting or, or maybe Shane and I got into bow hunting at the same time we had the same idea you know we loved the thought of starting to hunt with a bow and arrow. And we also love the thought of just going and shooting a bow and arrow at a, at a bale, a straw bale or something, and shooting targets and the competitive side of that, and then taking it right into hunting and take and you know tackling that challenge. And where we live, we got such huge muleys. You know, you just imagine that rush, you know, seeking up 12-year-old kids or 13-year-old kids with your bow and arrow and you're sneaking up on 180-class muley bucks. I got a crazy story. I, my buddy, Do it, share it. My buddy, Chatty Lang, this is back when we're learning to bow hunt. I, I was a couple of years into bow hunting. He's a couple of years younger than me. He's like 14 years old. He wants to try bow hunting. We go out in the fog one morning, opening day of archery season in Saskatchewan. We walk out to this, this big old homestead tree in the middle of a pasture. It didn't really belong there, but that was a place that we loved to go and sit underneath it because it gave us a good, good natural blind. We get under this tree. It's a really foggy day. It starts to get light out, and we can hear brush, like we can hear leaves kind of crunching and something coming in the fog, but we can't see it. We know it's right there, and there's a game trail. We know what game trail he's walking on. This triple drop tie muley buck appears in the fog at 10 yards, and he's walking towards us. He stops at 6 yards. He looks at us. My buddy Chatty draws his bow. The buck watches him draw his bow. He pulls his bow back, and the buck kind of spooks out to 8 or 9 yards and stands broadside and looks at me and Chatty. And I'm filming. Like, I'm capturing all this stuff. This is one of my very first days filming. And Chatty <laughs> lets it rip, and the arrow flies, like, 8 feet in front of the buck's chest, way out left wing, like, takes the fans out standing in the crowd. Goes out to the left, and the buck's... The buck runs out, and I think Chatty actually knocked another arrow and got a second shot, and he completely whiffed it again. And it, at the time, I'm like, what 
on earth did you just do? Like, how did you screw that up? <laughs> but, like, you're thinking, this is a 13-year-old kid. Right. And, you know, he's bullhunting for the first time, and you got a 180-inch mealy with drop tie instead. And it just appears, too. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's going to throw a guy that's 40 years old, a very accomplished bullhunter, right yeah. off his loop, you know, when he sees a buck like that. And three days later, we're driving down the road, and Chatty has, like, an epiphany. He's, we're driving along, and he's like, oh, it just came to me. I know what happened. I'm like, what happened when? When I missed Droppy. When I missed Droppy the other day, I know what happened. I'm like, well, what happened? He's like, I think I was so excited I aimed with my wrong eye. I didn't even look through my peep. I aimed with my left eye, and my arrow just went flying way off to the left, and I missed the flipping buck. And that buck, it's a crazy story. That buck was three years old. He was 180 inches. He had three drop tines. We filmed that buck and picked up sheds off of that buck until he was like 13 or 14 years old. And nobody ever got him, and he died of old age. Uh, a local guy wounded him with a rifle when he was like nine years old and hit him in the foot and blew just one of his toes off on his hoof and he healed and recovered and his antlers went even wonkier and more non-typical and he lived to 13 or 14 years old and then died the winter killed one year. Jeez. Yeah, it's crazy. Like where where on earth do you see a whitetail or a muley buck you don't. dying of old age at, at 13 years <laughs> you old? You don't. No, it's crazy. That's, that's. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, I couldn't even imagine, you know, because here when we think of an old deer, we're like, yeah, seven, eight. Yeah. You know, honestly, you know. Yeah, that's a spe- very special deer if he makes it to eight years you old. You know, yeah. e- even six. I'm like, hey, he's, they're mature. It's like Wyoming, you know, like, well, what's a mature deer? Five, six. Yeah. You know, I don't, very rarely have I ever even heard of somebody shooting one older. Oh, yeah. Honestly, you know, that's so crazy. Yeah. Thirteen. Yeah. Oh. But that thing didn't have any teeth left in his head, oh, he you know? Was, he looked like bad taxidermy. Like he, his hair was all falling out. He had a big bridge in his nose. He had a bad limp. He was he looked like cartoon character walking around. But Jeez. Uh, it was cool to see him. You know, so many years we tried to get him with our bows. All, like my friend Shane, my friend Chad, myself. And every single year he would just undress us and make us look like fools and grow <laughs> older and older. And it was really cool. It was cool to see a buck win like that. Yeah, and, and I think it's neat when you are when you get the opportunity, and it's it's sometimes hard on public land, obviously. Mm-hmm. But when you get the opportunity to have uh, history with an animal, yes, sir, that makes it so neat. And yeah, I can absolutely have it happened on South Dakota. You know, um, my first year I went to South Dakota, I snuck up on this great big forkhorn. He's like twenty some odd inch white forkhorn, real real heavy. Yeah. And he's like 53 yards. And it's my first year to South Dakota. I'm thinking, I'm letting her rip, Dater Chip. Here we go. You know, and I'm sitting there. Come on, brother. Yeah. And it's like, just like, and it is blowing like you can't even hardly stand up. It's blowing so hard. And I'm yeah. like, this might not be a good idea. And he's, you know, how as deer often do, he sent something and took off. Yeah. Following year, back in that same spot in public, found him again, snuck in oh, there. Oh, boy. Shot him at 35 yards. And you got him? jump my string and I hit him high like in no man's land high probably you know like the point of the shoulder I hit him six inches probably higher than that just all nothing but meat and he bled a little but I don't even think he died honestly yeah and uh, then this year I went back and uh, didn't see him uh, I, I only spent about two hours back in that spot. You know, yep. I was actually looking for my drone, as funny as that is. <laughs> Did you crash it or So what? I'm like flying this thing, and it goes, start the screen starts flashing at me, Uh-oh. and then loses everything. And was I'm it like, far away from you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you lost of course connection. it was. It <laughs> lost connection. But it didn't lose connection because it's too far. Like the hilltop or whatever, it went on the other side of the hilltop, and then... Phew, 
Oh, no. And I'm like, no. So I just, like, start booking it. And my phone is still kind of beeping where it, where it last saw the drone. And I'm like, and then my phone loses battery and dies. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, And I'm out there trying to find this $2,000 drone. And I'm oh. like, oh, no. And I... Luck as luck would have it, I'm on the wife with, on the phone with my wife, and I said, "Hey, I just lost my drone. You know, you're gonna kill me." Blah blah. blah. I'm walking around. I'm like, "There's no way in hell I'm gonna find this thing." And I look over, and it's just laying there in this because it was snow on the ground. Yeah. Thank God. There's yeah. no way I'd have seen it if it wasn't. Oh, yeah. And it was like sticking like this with two of the propellers sticking up in the air. Yeah. I was like, "I just found the drone." <laughs> <laughs> She's like. You wild the guy just found the drone. <laughs> <laughs> he found two thousand dollars cash laid in the snowdrift. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so I, I, after I found it, I walked over the hill and glassed some of that stuff. And but it was, I'm sure I would bet you he was back there. But it was yeah. like ten o'clock, or eleven or something. You know, terrible time unless you're going to sit down and actually glass glass. Yeah. I just walked up there and kind of looked around. I was so excited I found my drone. I didn't really care at that point, <laughs> you know. But yeah. it, just having history with deer is cool, you yeah. know. So when you're talking like, man, yeah, we picked up his sheds and we got to film of it, like that just, yeah. that's cool. You know, it's it's rare with, with the amount of competition out there, especially on public land, to have history with a deer is very special. How, how many deer grow and grow and grow to an older age? How many deer can you pick sheds up? off of you know the same buck and get a collection right. off of them or, or get multiple opportunities like you did at that buck because there's just so many people out there and deer get bumped around deer get shot by other people deer winter kill right it's uh it's a very special thing and it, it's cool that we get talking about specific deer and watching them grow because i i believe that i got the deer of my lifetime this year in saskatchewan i called him sleepy and he scored 266 inches. He's, he's going to be one of the one of the top 10 all-time in Pope and Young. I haven't sent the score sheet away. 266 inches. Yeah, he's he's a badass dude. And I hunted him for four years. I got him the fourth year. The first three years. I want to stop you there because okay. I, I, I want you to finish the story, but I want people to note that because I think when somebody is looking at Saskatchewan and being like, yeah, they shoot giant mule deer. Well, yeah, because all those guys just go around every corner and they shoot the deer. I just want, pe- I want people to hear that. Like, I hunted him for four years. Yes. Because that, that's a big thing. Like That's huge. Th- you know, and I think you guys kind of get this persona. Not you guys, Saskatchewan, the place, gets this, pers- this like, aura or, or persona that it's like, yeah, you just go walk around that tree and there's going to be a 240-inch mule there and you shoot it. Yeah. Yep. And and I want people to know that it's not like that. It's not like that. <laughs> so, so, yeah, finish your story. I just want to, because I just want, because I don't want it to, to, you know, I don't want people to think, man, yeah, well, that's why he shot it, is because that's where he lit. No, it's yeah. not like that. You know, you still had to hunt the deer. There's people it's, up there that are 60 years old, and they've never shot a big mule deer, and they're, they're good hunters, so they're not behind every tree. I've been very, very lucky. That buck, that sleepy buck, lived on public land his entire life. <sighs> public land. That is insane. Found all of his sheds. It just like have that the makes it even better. That's it's, so cool. You know what? I spent so much time with that deer. It is crazy because I would find him in the summertime, and I would be so obsessed with him, I could not leave him alone. I would go and watch him from two miles away, and I would watch him every day and every night that I could. Like it wasn't every single day, but every chance I could get out there, I would sit there and watch him, and I'd be obsessed. And the days I wasn't there, I was thinking about him. You know, it eats you. And then hunting season would start, and there's three hunting seasons in a row that I don't get this buck. So I'm out there, and I'm trying my guts out. Everything I possibly can, I'm <laughs> pulling like, the goal. You're just like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, and I'm going for it. And 
I'm obsessed. So you, when you're not finding him, you're not seeing him as public land. You see other hunters out there. That completely destroys you mentally, right? The games right. that go, you know, the things that go on in your head, and you know, you think when hunting season was over that that game would quit or end, and it didn't because you want to see, you want to try and find him in the wintertime. You want to see if he made it through, if anyone killed him or wounded him. And then once you find him, you want to follow him again, and you want to watch him and watch him and babysit him until he sheds his antlers. And then you got to try and find his antlers before somebody else finds his antlers. <laughs> and then when he sheds his antlers and you got them and you feel like you're a hero, you get like 10 hours to dwell on the fact that you found his antlers, and you're like, holy crap, i got to start focusing on next year. Where'd you know, he go? Oh, i got to find him. Is he alive? Yeah. <laughs> It consumes you. It eats you alive, and you're totally bananas over that animal. And I was for four years. Like, when we finally got him, I shot him with my diamond bow 26 yards this year. We got it all on camera. When I got him, I honestly thought I was going to freak out. I was going to be, like, jumping up and high-fiving ceiling fans and everything. You just soak it in? I. It was the most calming feeling I've ever felt. I literally got, I got, actually got teared up, and I, like, just sat down and just, just relaxed for the first time in four years. I was at peace you know it was driving the deer ate me alive you know (laughs) all the anticipation and i just i just sat down and relaxed for the first time and i the chance to walk up to that buck and put my hands on him for the very first time just just to feel him because you had missed him a couple times you said you'd mentioned right the first year i missed him at 41 yards he scored 221 i know that from the sheds scored 221 inches 41 yards horrible side wind i shoot my arrow blows sideways in the footage all of this is documented on camera my arrow my black eagle blows sideways in the wind and drifts from where i'm aiming at him quartering away and it blows right in front of his chest right under his chin and it was so windy he didn't even know i shot at him he didn't even know an arrow went by he he jumped forward and looked around and then just kept walking he didn't care fast forward to the following year year number two he scored 241 that year from the sheds I missed him twice that year. Oh, opening, no. day, opening day of archery season, I'm having, I have him at 26 yards, okay? He's standing in weeds. I can only see the top half of his body, but I don't really know how much of his body I can see. And you're looking through your peep sight, so And, of course, he's 241 inches, so what is your heart and your mind doing when you're drawing back and you're standing up? So I'm not thinking totally clearly. But, I don't know. I've never seen a deer that big. Well, I stand up, and I shoot low. I, I, I don't know what exactly happened. I know that afterwards my, my rest on my bow was loose and it was sagging and I think that played a huge part in it but I right. shot just under the buck's brisket and I missed it. So a deer that big and you've put in that much time and you miss are you just like eating yourself alive like you dumb SOB how did you like what 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 goes on in there when that happens? Well I'm sure you know what it's like to miss a buck with your bow, just any Never. buck. No. Yeah, <laughs> right? So take yourself to that mental frame of missing right. just any buck. Right. Now take yourself to the mental frame of missing a 241-incher in full velvet with three drop tines with flyers all over his antlers where you have a huge history with him. You've dreamt about him for two years. Now take yourself there. Right. And it, I thought I hit him. I thought I smoked him. So I shoot, and I hear a... Like, I hear a perfect smack, but there's weeds over the bottom third of his body. Now, he runs over the hill out of sight. We have a buddy spotting for us over the hill. And I'm up on standing on the top wire doing signals with him, and he's, like, giving me the shoulders. He's like, what? I'm like, is he down? Like, is he down? I get my phone out of my pack, and I call him. Like, did he go down? He's like, did he go down? Did you shoot him? I'm like, yeah, I shot him. He's like, he's standing there eating. He's totally fine. And that... Him telling me that and me realizing that I missed that buck, it it literally completely 
destroyed me. I, I remember my cameraman, like, I'm, I'm totally down with documenting everything. I got a camera in my face. I haven't, I haven't hunted off camera for <laughs> a long time, 20 huh? years. Like, it doesn't <laughs> happen, right? And this camera's in my face, and I just literally feel like my dog, my dog of 12 years got ran over right in front of me. Like, I'm crushed. I'm destroyed. And this guy's got my buddy Richie, my cameraman, he's got the camera in my face, and it's one of those times where I literally just wanted to rip it out of his hands and smash it to the ground and just kick it to the curb. Like, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't want that documented. Oh, I, I was so crushed. I bet. And it gets better the next day, or it gets worse. Well, I, don't, I can't believe I just say it got better. Yeah. The next day. Well, it's we, better now. You have oh, him. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's fine now because he was 240 there, and he ended up being 266 when there, I got him. It's even better. So He's the just fact waiting that, for him to grow, Cody. Absolutely. The fact that I'm a horrible hunter <laughs> just all worked in my favor, and I got a bigger and bigger buck every year. But <laughs> that uh, the next day. He's 18 yards away. I missed him the day before. 18 yards. He's quartering away. He's got his head down. I draw my bow. I stand up. I put my pin right on him. I start to squeeze. He picks his head up, and he looks at me. And right when he sees me, he wheels to run away right as I'm squeezing. As he wheels and fades, my arrow, now where his body was quartering away, he's straight away fading and leaving. Mm -hmm. And my arrow literally shaves down the whole length of his body from his ass to his shoulder. He fades right out a millisecond before the arrow goes right through him quartering away and I miss him again and that's the third time I miss him in two years and then we never see him again he's gone like for that year I think that was 2017 he's gone I'm drawn with a rifle tag that year so I can bow hunt if I want to but when rifle season opens I can hunt the entire the entire fall with my rifle I hunted that buck as hard as I possibly could I was up two hours before daybreak every single day in the rifle season an hour after dark I would get home we'd pack lunches we were there every minute of that hunting season we never saw him once with a rifle I never got him go to 2018 we don't get a chance we don't even get on him until like October sometime we hunt him for 25 days we finally get a chance with like five days left in the season and 60 yards away, he backdoors me. I'm, I'm thinking he's coming through these tall weeds and he's going to come out right in front of me. He cuts hard to the right and he goes behind me. And he comes out. And as he comes out, he wins me and he runs. He's running at 100 yards. And I had my bow at full draw. And I literally just sizzled my black eagle out there. Not anywhere near him. I just shot it into the grass halfway to him. Just so I could say that I missed him three years in a row. Because I, I, think that's what, I don't know what the heck I was thinking or why I thought that was so special. But I, I'm aiming at him. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to donate this black eagle arrow to science. And I, I shoot it out into the grass. And I look back at my camera. And I'm like, that was just for fun. Now I can say I missed him three years in a row. And he ran away. I never saw him again that year either. And then that brings us to 2019. And we find him in the summertime. He's larger than life. He's gone from 220 to 240 to 260 to 266. And I didn't know he was 266. I honestly thought he was over 270. Right. And got up on him and got 26 yards away. I was 26 yards from him for 10 and a half hours. And then I finally got a shot. And I wow. shot him. Wow. Yeah. It, and the, it, so someone that, that's hunted a little bit, you know, the, I guess what I'm so in awe about of being there that long is is how consistent the wind would have to be for you to be that close to a mature animal for that long. Like, that's that's crazy. Yeah, and you it, know that, too. I mean, that's sure. nuts. Yep. So I've hunted in the mountains. I've hunted in big hill country. Right. I've hunted in river breaks. And the one thing about Saskatchewan, it's really flat country, mm-hmm. and you get consistent wind. You don't always get consistent wind, but there are some days that you can Persist count. Always. You can be 25 yards away from a buck, 
and that wind isn't going to screw you. You can, you can stay cool. there all day, and you can count on it being in your face. There's there's days where you think it's going to be consistent, and it goes calm for a second, and it goes up your ass, and it blows them out. And there they go. Yeah, but there are days where you sit for 10 and a half hours in bow range, and it never even swirls. It's in your face the whole time, and you can count on it. And that's just being in flat country, I guess. You, know, you don't have to worry about thermals. You don't have to worry about swirls coming off of steep ridges. Right. And it's... it's uh, it's a good opportunity in a flat country. It, it, it's a lot easier than that big, ridgy country. So what are a few of the biggest takeaways you had that this deer taught you? Never give up. Absolutely never give up. It, 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 it's so crazy. I don't know how many times I felt like, you know, like, poor me. Like, why can't I get this buck? It's not meant to be. What's, what's the problem? And you have buddies that sit down with you, and they're like, dude, it just wasn't meant to be yet. Just like stay positive you're gonna get him if i heard one more buddy say you're gonna get him <laughs> you're gonna, gonna shoot break them? his nose yeah i got a couple buddies that are pretty big so i'd have to like punch him in the nose when they were sleeping because if they were awake they'd kick my ass but but yeah it, it just absolutely never give up and one thing that jim taught me was you got to believe that's something that he lived by he'd we'd be sitting on the top of a mountain in a rainstorm and sleet and we'd be on like day 10 of a sheep hunt. We'd have our asses handed to us and nothing would be working. And you'd just hear him, he'd just kind of be looking around and break the silence. You'd, you'd hear him say, you've got to believe. You've got to believe. And that's all he meant by that was any minute. The great thing about hunting, if you're having bad luck, your luck can change on a dime. Like absolutely on a dime. And you don't know when that's going to happen. You can sit in the same tree stand for a month and nothing good can happen. You can have no pictures of a big buck on your camera for two weeks. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you're sitting there and you're daydreaming and you're thinking about, you know, your wife at home making supper or you're thinking about the new bow that just came out on the market. You're not thinking about that big buck. And you look down and he's right below you. Right. And it's happening. And that's that's one thing that I will never, ever forget about this deer. It's just, just never give up and you got to believe. And good things do happen. Right. You just got to stick with it. Yeah, and I think I think too, along with the gotta believe is is the power in staying positive, like you were just saying, how Jim was always positive and always believing. Yeah. Because I'm I would assume that the majority of us have probably hunted with someone that is negative, someone yeah. that is semi toxic. Where yeah. where they don't even they might even know, honestly. Oh, and, yeah. and they're out there and they miss or we're just not seeing the animals they think we should or whatever and they're just like, This sucks, man. I'm just shoot by Peter all this money and I'm just like, Well then you just sit in the fucking truck and I'll go hunt. You just stay here. Just stop talking to me. Yeah. I'm positive. They, they smash you, it's crazy. You're talking to that guy. I'm that guy lots. I, my cameraman, he, he totally balances me. Really? He, oh, yeah. And like, he, but he, he balances you. That's, he's not even a positive guy. He's like, he's just a balancer. If you're, if you're like over the moon excited, you'll be like, oh, we're going to get him today. We're totally going to get him. He'll be like, he'll rub his beard. He's got like a really mangy beard. He'll rub his beard. Be like, ah, I don't know if we're going to get him today. But. And then, but in the next day. That's you, great. The next day you go out and you're like, oh, there's no way we're going to get him. There's no wind. Today sucks. Everything sucks. And he's like, no. I think I got a pretty good feeling about today. Like, <laughs> no matter where you're at mentally, it's level road. He balances you. Perfect. You can play games with him. You can literally be like, you know what? I'm gonna smash him with negative, and he's gonna hit me with positive. And then the next year, you're like, I'm just gonna prove 
that if I go positive, he's going to go negative right now. And he'll he'll go against whatever you say. It's totally crazy. But he's like a balancer. Right. That's what he does. Right. Yeah, yeah and that's awesome. You got Because you either got to have a balancer or someone that's always positive. Because yeah. you have someone that's negative and you get into a negative. Well, well, and, and I get it, right? You miss something. That sucks. Yeah. You put in all that time. You put in all that effort. You just crawled for, you made it 20 yards and in two hours. That sucks. And then you, yeah. drive, you miss. It's like, what the? What was I doing, man? Yeah. You know, I just put in all this time, effort, and I can't – and you, then you start playing other cards, right? You're like, I can't afford to put in this much time, money, and effort and not make it happen. Exactly. You're counting on that. Right. Yeah. But at the end of the day, shit happens. It absolutely does. You know? Yeah. So. It's, uh, it, the crazy thing about bow hunting is you can work your ass off for an entire year for that one shot. One shot. And that one shot – takes a matter of seconds it takes just a few seconds of concentration and a few seconds of focus and that split second where you get that perfect squeeze and it is crazy how you can wait a year for that one chance and you can rush through that few seconds and you can just kill yourself you want that back so badly when you make a bad shot or you rush it or you miss it there's nothing archery can be so cruel in that way you know? Right, and yeah. on, and and two, I, I like how you said you can wait a whole year, because uh, I think there's there's a lot of people out there that come August. You know, say say September first is their opening day, right? Yep. There's a lot of people that come August. They grab their bow and week before season, they're like, "Hey, I should probably shoot this damn thing." And it's like, "Yeah, you should." And 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 I'm not that guy. I am. If you want to shoot every day, cool. Yeah. Good on you. I'm not saying that I do. Yep. But all I'm saying is the preparation, like you're saying, you wait a year. Like, if you're going to put all the time and effort into getting up close, making everything come together, yeah. respect the animal, respect yourself enough to maybe start shooting a little before August, you know, like yeah. like at least in July, maybe. Absolutely. <laughs> and like, I'm not saying every day. Yeah. I, you know a what? A couple times I, a week. Something, <laughs> something that I've picked up on is there's guys... That when I say guys, I'm pointing the finger at me. I know I've done it in the past. <laughs> you know, I, I might have been 20 years old. It might have been 30 years old, whatever. But I know there's a lot of people out there that are guilty of waiting until the last minute, like till a week before the season. Right. And then they start shooting their bow. And then they binge practice. And the bad thing about that is if you haven't been shooting your bow for a year or six months, all you're doing, those, if you're going to shoot for the five days before the season starts and you're going to binge shoot and you're going to shoot, shoot, shoot and try and get everything honed in, you're breaking all your muscles down and they don't right. have time to get back. And you're actually going into bow season in your weakest state. Right. You know, you got to get at it way before that and, and give your muscles a chance to build up. Uh-huh. So, you know, it, it's so crazy. There's one guy, and I can pick on him because his track record, you, I, can, I can hammer him, but he can hammer me right back. <laughs> Chatty Lang. He's the kind of guy. I love that. He, I can hammer. He's gonna hammer me right back. It's well, great. We're this, friends. I, I can make fun of his practice and his prep because he's the one guy that doesn't screw up. He's his brother played in the NHL. He was a okay. hockey player. Okay. And Chatty's a hockey player as well. He plays on a, a local senior team. But he's a talented guy. He's got brains, smarts, athletic. He's the kind of guy that picks his bow up and takes one practice shot every year, and. One year he shot a 235 non-typical muley, and he shoots this buck and he comes back and we're like, holy crap! And we're we're admiring this buck and we're freaking out, and we're like, man, when do, when did you start shooting your bow? Like how long have you been shooting this summer? And he smirked and giggled, 
Like, this is irresponsible. I don't promote this in any way, shape, or form. He hadn't shot his bow since a year before. He hadn't shot his bow for a year. And that buck stands at 30 yards, and he pulls his bow back, and he shoots him right in the top of the heart. Like, amazing. He's just a very talented human right. being. But, you know, that is that is not the way to bow hunt, obviously. <laughs> you got to put your time in and, and like, your due, your due, gil- due diligence. And you got to practice, and you got to right. prepare. But everyone has their own way of doing right. things. And he just stands out to me. He, he's just a really talented guy. And he, he's like that guy that doesn't have to, to train for a race and he can kick some guy's ass that's been running all year long. You know, he's just, just a very talented guy. Well, and, and I probably know Randy Ulmer or of him, oh, right? absolutely. And, and I was listening to him talk about practice and back when he was in tournaments and everything, he's like that. He's like, yeah, I don't, I didn't really practice. Like, you know, because when you think of a tournament archer, at least when I do, I think of, hundreds of arrows a day yeah. i honestly do i think it's because especially some of them that's what some of them i know that's what they do they're like yeah, i go shoot three to five hundred arrows a day and it's like oh my gosh like i've shot 350 arrows in a day and the amount of time that that takes oh. it's nuts and so rant like you're saying you know to your point everybody has their own way you know and, the, and here is randy who has won all kinds of shoots kills giant mule deer every year consistently yeah. and he's like yeah i just i don't really practice all that much now does he practice yes when he practices does he do everything exactly right the way he needs to do it yes perfect and practice so, exactly because practice to make perfect perfect practice makes perfect and that's kind of to your point what i'm getting at is no if anyone ever tells you you need to shoot every single day if you want to do that and you have time cool but i mean if you shoot 20 arrows twice a week yeah there's three times a week you'll be you'll if that's what works for you yeah right yeah but yeah it's just it's just interesting seeing everybody's different what like say different what works for them because it is so different yeah you know it's just it's like night and day difference absolutely but so one thing I want to cover before we wrap this up because we've already been going for 45 minutes and I want to take all of your time here Cody <laughs> I, have a, I have a meeting at, at 5 p.m., so we have... We got 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Perfect. I, the, I just want to know a little bit about things that you do to locate big deer. I mean, simple question, but there's a lot to it. So I would love to kind of know maybe maybe one or two of your most favorite things, and that whether it may be glassing. But if it is glassing, I want to know... If you're like grid glassing and you're looking in specific locations and yep. why you're looking, you know that kind of stuff. So absolutely, one one of my favorite ways of scouting and finding a big buck is shed hunting. Really, I, I love going to new country and just pounding it out on on foot on a on a skidoo on a quad. How, however, the method the best method in that area is, <coughs> but going to new country and looking for antlers. I love antlers, and I love that way of finding a new big buck. It, really? Oh, I love it and. But it can be misleading because you can find an antler in one spot and that deer's house where he lives in the summer and the fall might be six miles away, but it might not be. It might be okay. right there. And it gives you, it lets you know that that deer exists. You, you get after a really big nocturnal whitetail and sometimes you don't, there are deer out there that you don't get trail camera pics of. Right. They, they don't walk in front of your stealth cam. They, right. And you know what? I found one of the... A, an absolutely huge non-typical whitetail antler or Kelsey actually found it about six or seven years ago 150 yards from my stealth cam where I fed the deer in the winter time never had one picture of him and this great big black antler is laying there 
Now, shed hunting, we wouldn't have known that deer even existed if we didn't find a antler. So that's, that's one way I love finding big bucks. When it comes really? to muleys, I, I love going out early season. When, when you go out the end of June, the start of July, the days are long. You get a really nocturnal buck. If you wait all the way down to the 1st of September to find that deer, and he is nocturnal, you're really limiting yourself. It, he might only show himself for five minutes of daylight right. at, in the evening and in the morning. And if you're not looking in that exact spot in the right place, you're not going to see him. But if you go out the end of June, start of July, nobody's scouting. Deer are totally relaxed. They're in their summer habits and routines. They're like kind of red too. It, you absolutely. Know? <laughs> they stick out. They're out in open country. They expose themselves more. It's daylight until 10 o'clock at night. They can't be nocturnal. Right. That time. Like, they can't only move in the dark then. The, the, right. Yeah, they can't function. And that's when I find most of my bucks. So when you find a giant deer the end of June, the start of July, what that does for you is you know where to look leading up to hunting season. You know where to spend that crucial five minutes, the last five minutes of daylight. You know exactly where to look now because you saw him there earlier in the year. And now when he's going to expose himself for that five minutes... You're staring in that you're spot. You're there. Yeah. And you're not, you're not driving all over the countryside or hiking all over the, the mountainside trying to find or trying to look for deer where they don't exist. You've already honed in, and you've really given yourself the best lead that you possibly can. That's cool. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And it's, it's really not a lot different in high country. Um, you know, high country, I've, I've noticed that deer come out of the high country to a wintering ground you find their shed there typically obviously come september or whatever they're back up in the high country so For sure. the and that's mule deer though white tails are a little different like you said yep. um but it's really not a lot different i and there's times when i found one in july and they're not quite in the same spot but they're close, right? And that's yep. exactly what it sounds to me like you're talking about. You're like, you get a starting point, Absolutely. right? Could yep. they be a mile away? Yes, they could. But yep. you now have a starting point when that gear was most relaxed. Yeah. You know, you, you have way better clues. You have you have a way right. better start at that season and that buck. It's so crazy. I go out in July and I find a great big deer. And then I sit on a hill and I'm watching him. And in September, I know exactly where to sit. And I'm honed in on them, and I know exactly where to focus. And then all these other guys start scouting two days before the season. Right. And they drive right by them. And there'll be there'll be a 10-mile dead zone where there's no big bucks living, and they'll go and spend a whole bunch of time in all those dead zones. But it's that time of year when they're starting to become nocturnal, and those guys don't have as much luck. That, that early, early, early season scouting really gets you the best start. Right. Yeah. Well, awesome, Cody. Well, at some point, it would be awesome to do one with you and Kelsey. Absolutely. Sounds like yeah. your better half, yeah. much like my wife is mine, uh, and my hunting partner as well. It's, it's awesome. so awesome to find that. You know, sure. someone that you're like, ah, I'm so excited about this deer, and they get it, right? Yeah. They're not like, oh, really? You know? yeah. But I, I can't thank you enough for stopping by today and thank doing you for the podcast. Me. Oh, anytime. I'd yeah. love to have you back on. I really enjoyed it, and I can't wait to be back.